Welcome to the podcast series about why loneliness is becoming a health issue in Canada and what can we do about it. My name is Heather Keane from Tamarack Institute and today we're going to be talking with Annabelle Abbott-Ewan and Lacey Lalonde about their perspectives on why young people are lonelier than ever. Both Lacey and Annabelle are friends and they both live in Northern Ontario. Welcome Annabelle and Lacey. I'm wondering if we can start today with telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what has been your experience about being a young person in the community. And I'll start with you, Annabelle. Okay, well, being a youth in Canada means I feel well supported by my community. We have an astonishing amount of resources for people coming from all walks of life and along all of the country. To be a youth in Canada means to be free. I live in a place where I am not as afraid of my sexual identity or anything, really. I have a freedom to choose which religion I want to follow, and it's really wonderful, honestly. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Lacey? To me, being a youth in Canada is a very uplifting experience because you have much support from, like, your family and, like, your government and like your leaders in like college, cause like I'm in college. And so in college, uh, leadership is a really big deal because you're supposed to be like self-confident and aware of your surroundings and be able to continue in your classes. And I find that all my peers are very helpful in allowing me to become my best self. And thinking and looking at your neighborhood and where you live, do you feel connected to your community and your neighborhood? Annabelle? So I'm actually running a Jack.org chapter in Sudbury starting, um, I believe, in October. I'm able to connect with people a lot in what I do. Like even working with Tamarack for the little bit that I was, I was really a part of my community more than I feel like I have ever been before. That's great. Very great. What about you, Lacey? Um, how I connect with my community. Well, if it's like just about like the people that I live around in my neighborhood block, I walk my two dogs around and every single time I go by a person, we always start up a conversation about like how our day is going or how my school life is going or how their work is going. And I find that that allows me to communicate very well and get to know my neighbors. But in school, we do this little thing at the beginning of class called a check-in and it's where everybody tells the group like what they did last night or what they had for breakfast or something that was interesting that just happened to them and I find that that's a really good way to get to know some people. I love check-ins it makes us feel we're all human and check-ins is like how am I today so if I'm grumpy then I let you know that I'm grumpy and that's why I'm not speaking today and so I, I love check-in. Let's start talking about youth and loneliness so I came across a, an American study that surveyed 20,000 Americans ages 18 years and older and they reported that 15% of the participants felt kind of lonely or left out or always or sometime and those who fell into the group of 18 to 22 which is part of the generation Z which I'm always confused about if I'm Z or X or millennial and sometimes I, I feel like I'm a baby boomer part of the generation Z reported feeling lonely and left out more than the older generations and millennials all also reported feeling lonelier than any other generation. And then I thought, well, there's got to be some Canadian stats. And so I found an Ipsos poll report by Global News, and the feelings of isolation were most significant among people between the ages of 18 and 34, and it was about 68%. So looking at the data, which is saying that our young people are getting lonelier, Lacey, what do you think about, you know, the reasons why young people are getting lonelier than past generations? 
Well, for me, I believe that there's like um, one or two reasons. More today than any other generation, there's like technology everywhere and everybody's just like FaceTiming and talking on the phone. Like you could be in the same room as someone and be texting them instead of talking to them face to face. Like people are like, like wired to like talk to people socially face to face, you know? If we don't have like that contact, you get lonelier and lonelier by the day. Like you could stand in a crowd of people and still be lonely because not one person is actually talking to you as a person. The depth of the connection and the communication when it's, when it's social media. I get a text from my son who's 15 and he shortens everything. And even the words are short and the conversations are short. And so I think, well, how can you possibly have a great in-depth, relatable conversation when you're cutting everything out and it's to the point? So, you know, when we use technology, social media, texting to connect with each other, it seems so shallow and superficial. Like not personal at all. Just kind of what we're having here today. And Annabelle, what do you think about technology and social media? I disagree. I have so many online friends who I feel closer to them than I feel to the people I know in real life. Mm -hmm. Like my best friend, uh, he lives in South Africa. His name is Duane. And I've known him since I was about eight to 10 years old. And he knows me to the point where I can text him a certain way and he'll be like, what's wrong, dude? Like, are you okay? Because it's about like getting to know the person and their way of texting. I feel like social media can affect loneliness, but it can also help bring it away. Because like, even like you and me, Lacey, like when we hang out, we use social media to be like, hey, are you available to meet up? It, it really goes both ways, mm-hmm. I think, at least for myself. And I think, I think you bring up a really good point, Annabelle, about it's the effort you put into it. So getting to, to understand each other. And did you know your best friend in person before? No. 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 So and you- we hold up conversations. We can send one text message. We can send 10 messages in a minute for wow. six hours straight and not get tired of each other. And we've done it since we were children, where we just shoot messages back and forth to the point where I'm pacing, I'm so excited, and I get so happy that I'm talking to him that I literally get like a burst of serotonin. So like, I don't know, for me, I think social media really helps. It just matters how you use it. In terms of connection, you know, not feeling lonely means you're connected to people. And so that's one of the positive things about technology and internet and social media is that it's allowing us to connect with people who are far away. So my in-laws are in Australia. And so my husband, you know, uses the technology to connect with his brothers and nieces and nephews and his parents. And so that does bring him closer together. But there's more of an effort that you have to do in order to make sure that those types of connections that you have with each other are deep. And so there's a bit more work to it than picking up the phone and having a a chat and conversation. Your thumbs don't get as tired. Yeah, it's just because from my point of view, technology, well, not really technology in general, but like social interaction. In Italy, there are like islands where there's people like who are over like 100 years old and they're over 100 years old, not because of technology, but because they have daily interactions with people in everyday life face to face. And because they have all these social interactions face to face, they are able to like stay happy, be able to like grow up to a great and old age. 
And it's, it's funny you, Annabelle, you say that it actually, it works for you because the research is saying that, you know, that social media can actually increase loneliness and worsen mental health. Maybe there's something for you to go out there and do a TED talk on, on how to be a connected social, social media technology person and the skills to do it. And I think it's really important that like you surround yourself with good people because like I've tried to hold up a relationship online where I'm the only one talking and it does not work. So in, in order to have a healthy online relationship, both people have to be invested. I, I, I think that the more you talk and get to know people, the more invested they'll be. Like you're not just going to message a random person and be like, hi, what's up? And then they're going to be like, oh, we're best friends now. But it really helps, especially for people with anxiety who have trouble talking face-to-face, who have trouble approaching people and being like, hi, be my friend. But online helps them a lot. So online is the opposite for people without mental health, where it's like they can't talk in person, but they are able to talk in social media. But another factor of that is follow people who make you happy. Follow people who don't bring you down. Because I'm a teenage girl. If I'm following all these girls and I'm like, oh, they're so much prettier than me, it's going to tear me down. I follow dog pictures instead and it makes me feel happy, right? So it really depends on your approach to it. You have to like follow and talk to people who are uplifting and who can like, you can vibe with, who you can like share your energy with. And I think that you you bring up a good point about mental health and, you know, following and talking and being with people who are more positive because then your attitude and your mental health will be more positive. And that also goes to human beings and being connected. And that links to mental health and how we are social beings and we need to be with people. And I, and I think that whether it is via the internet, social media, or in person, we do need to make those connections. And those connections also about trust and relationships. So what is what are your thoughts about relationships and trust and communication? And is that a link to loneliness and young people? Okay, well, for me, um, me and my mother don't have the best relationship because she had left me a very long time ago, like, I'd say almost a decade ago to go live in, um, in Winnipeg. And so she didn't keep up with interactions. She didn't visit me. She didn't talk to me at all. And it got to the point where she was like this complete stranger. And then just recently she comes back into my life expecting everything to be okay. And it's like, I don't know you as a person. And so I can't trust that you're not going to leave me again. So I don't really want to invest any feelings into this. Or another instance that I could speak of would be one of my best friends a long time ago told a secret that I wanted to be kept very close and not told to anybody. And um, so she basically ganged up with a whole bunch of people and started bullying me. And that just made me not be able to trust people anymore. And so I have to live with that every single day because of that. Yeah. Trust is huge in terms of being connected and building relationships. And, you know, the more that we can um, focus on kind of authentic relationships and being who you are, and as Annabelle said, connecting with those who are like-minded and who are positive and happy. You don't know who's lying nowadays. Like anybody can be lying straight to your face and you wouldn't know it. Like so many people get invested in relationships only to find out that that person didn't care about you in the first place. Yeah. What do you think, Annabelle? I agree. As somebody who lives in a group home, like the amount of staff who have come in on their last day after me investing so much time and energy into them, 
and then having them come in on their last day like yeah this is my last day here and you're just like wait what like I had one staff who I was super close to and she stopped showing up completely out of nowhere and she kept calling in sick and then eventually because we were texting each other when we shouldn't have been because that's kind of against the rules but she wanted to reach out to me and she wanted to be a support and then she texts me first thing in the morning and I wake up to a text saying hey I'm resigning that didn't feel good mm. and even now like she still denies that she said that but the staff have read the messages so they know i'm telling the truth like she's somebody who i thought i could trust who in turn walked out of my life and similar to lacy's mom was like why are you mad at me what happened mm -hmm. and lacy you were talking about basically about family structure and how the structure of families have has changed right the mom and dad living in the in the same household with the siblings is really changed. There's a lot more single parent families now. There's a lot more families that are living far apart, um, sisters and brothers as they grow up. And I think that also contributes to the loneliness factor and how as people move away, and Annabelle, you're talking about, you know, staff leaving and coming and going, like that's it's hard. And it's, you know, you're, you're not wanting to build relationships because when you do, they just walk away. And then you got to start right from scratch again. Yeah, for sure. What do you think about how we build our community? So if you think about your neighborhood and your community and where you live, do you, do you think that it's, it's um, helping um, young people be more connected to community or do you think that it's, it's not helping? Annabelle? I think that if you live in the same place, which I have not had the fortune of living through, but if you live in the same place for a very long time, you get to know people. And like, Lacey, she's lived in a, like, correct me if I'm wrong, you've lived in the same place here most of your life. So you go outside and your neighbors are like, hi, I've known you since you were like this tall. How are you, right? Uh, well, actually, I recently moved to a new place. But before, yes, all my neighbors knew me. I'm just getting to know my new neighbors now. Exactly. So the best way to connect with people, I think, in your community is to talk to people. Like, I know this is hard for people with anxiety. But like, I will absolutely, if I see somebody on the side of the road and I like their shirt, Lacey has seen me do it. I'll go up to them and I'll be like, hi, you look amazing. And Lacey's always like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, it makes people happy. I think that by complimenting somebody, there's a chance I could make their day. We meet up again some other time and they're like, hey, you're the girl who complimented me. Want to like be friends, right? So it's a good way to connect without seeming like really weird as long as you know how to do it and don't catcall, I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Humans are wired to be social beings. And we talked about trust and we talked about relationships and family structures. Another big thing is belonging to community. So do you have an example of when your community or neighborhood made you feel like you like were lonely or didn't belong? I guess I could go first here. It wasn't really in my neighborhood exactly. It was more downtown. So I was like shopping for groceries and stuff. And so this lady starts looking at me like really weird. And she's like an older lady, let's say late 50s. And she was like looking at me like I was going to steal something. So I go to walk out of the store with my groceries and stuff because, you know, I had finished paying. And so I was walking out the door and that lady stops me. She's like, I know you stole something. That's what you people do. And I was like, what, my people? What do you mean by that? She's like, you teenagers, you're always doing all these bad things around my house and my neighborhood. And I was like, 
I've never done that in my life. Don't just put stigma and biases on me just because one person did something to you. I myself am my own person and I don't steal. And that's probably one time where I didn't feel very belonging, you know? You actually raised a really amazing point in terms of trust and relationships. So the, the stigma and the bias that community has towards young people actually make people feel lonely. Because when you're walking down the street, like my son walks down the street, he wears a hoodie. Somebody actually commented on him saying, you youth always try to hide behind your hoodies. We know what you are, right? And it, it, it's how community connects and communicates and trusts the youth in their community. If we don't have that, we're going to feel lonely. What about you, Annabelle? Well, like I said, I live in a group home. So I've actually had parents kick me out of their house because, oh, you're a group home kid. You steal, you lie, you manipulate, you do drugs. Mm. And I'm sitting here like, I, what? <laughs> what? So it's really like... Being a group home kid makes me feel lonely. Like when one of my friends who um, lived in the other group home died, I had a panic attack because nobody expects group home kids to live, have a good life, get married, grow up, have kids. They all expect us to get stabbed on the side of the street or overdose or grow up to be criminals in jail. Nobody looks at a group home kid for their first time and thinks, you are going to succeed. I have never had that happen. People have said it to me without knowing I'm a group home kid. But if I if I introduce myself and I say, hi, I'm Annabelle, I'm a group home kid, people shut down real quick. So again, you just talked about the stigma and the bias, right? And how I think in terms of community, it's really important as a community, you don't judge. You don't judge young people. You get to know them, you build relationships and you build trust and you be inclusive. So this actually is a great segue into the next part of the podcast, which is, you know, what can communities do to help young people so that they're not feeling alone? And I think really maybe the question is, you know, how does community really engage young people with their skills and their assets and their gifts to make community a better place, really? And I love this quote that John McKnight, he wrote a book and he says in the book that we don't have a youth problem. We have a community problem. And I really do think that what our conversation we just had about the stigma and the bias is actually a community problem. And, I, and so what are your thoughts about how community, maybe how can we change the stigma and bias and really be inclusive of youth? I think people should get to know us and our interests and like try to like work around our passions because youth are determined. Gen Z on TikTok bullied Trump into hiding in a bunker because they felt like it. Like we can pretty much do anything. So I think that just getting us together and letting us feel connected to each other, because if you have a thousand Gen Zs together, they're going to do something crazy and they're going to make a difference. Well, um, for me, I'm taking courses that are all about like learning who youth are as individuals. It's the CYC program and it's like child and youth care program. And we're learning all, all about how like children develop mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so I'm realizing all this stuff about myself and about other people that I've never realized before. And I feel like um, the community uh, should like view people as people, not as like what they're dressed as, like stop judging people by what they wear and start judging people by like how they act or what their personality is. Or even stop putting like people who are fake 
and who have like fake personalities and do things to like become the best of the best when they're not actually being who they are. So I think the community should try and help youth be more confident in themselves and be more self-aware like of their surroundings, of other people and of their own feelings in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that not not going into the park with prejudged thoughts about why this the the youth are in the park, but just having a conversation saying, hey, you know, last time you were here, you know, there was a lot of garbage. And, you know, I just wanted to know, do you think there's enough garbage cans here? How can we work together to solve this problem versus going to the police and saying they are the problem and, you know, just get rid of them, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually bringing, bringing youth and community together to solve whatever the problems or the issues that are in the community. I also have another point for this topic, actually. And I literally just learned this today. But what it is, is people should try and change the way they talk to other people because most people use you language, which is very aggressive. It's like basically putting all the blame on that person that you're talking to, whereas people should try and use I language, which is basically just saying what you feel is happening and not what you think others are feeling or what you think others should do, just how you yourself feel in the situation you should tell them your own feelings and not try and like project onto other people. Oh, I love that. I think that's brilliant. So let's go on to how organizations who either serve youth or are trying to work with youth, do you have any recommendations or ideas on how they can do that? Um, I think people should, again, like I said, work around the youth's passion. Not only that, like, I was asked this when I worked for Tamarack, and I said passion and money, which money doesn't matter if you're not passionate, but, like, even in Canada, students get a lower wage than normal people because they're youth and treat youth like people. Like, with CBYF Tamarack, I was treated like an adult. It was my first job, my first time doing anything in, like, a career setting. But I was treated like an adult and I wasn't shamed for asking questions. And it really made me feel connected. And so I was passionate about it, but I was also receiving some form of incentive to keep going, which just made me more passionate. And I, and, and I like to call that being authentic. What about you, Lacey? Do you have any recommendations or ideas for organizations serving youth? What I recommend is, well, if it's like something like, high school i just want to say this one part about high school it's just because like it's it really made me mad how they did this but when i was in high school kids in high school are treated like gonna do something bad or you're not learning properly they're not treating you as an adult they're not giving you that leeway to become a better person and become confident and i just think that if high school were to change then other people would be able to come become more confident and be more honest and authentic and then other organizations would be able to like come in contact with them and help them more by helping them pursue their passions and goals. For me, that would be like helping children and or adolescents with their emotional trauma, like just helping them become better people. There was an organization that um, 
I met at a, at a uh, workshop and I was really blown away and thrilled. And I just share this anytime I get. So they worked with, with um, youth and, and I'm putting in quotations for those of you who are listening, troubled youth. Cause I really, really don't like that terminology, but we use that all the time or high risk youth again, quotations. And another, actually I'm going to quote John McKnight again, cause he says, when you label somebody, you make them invisible. So by labeling troubled youth or priority youth, we're making them invisible. And so I think, I think we got to get rid of that terminology as organizations when we're explaining our program. But anyway, this program was helping youth get jobs and their resume. And so what they did was they worked with the youth to identify their gifts and their assets and their skills. And a lot of time youth are going into the workplace with not a lot of experience. And so what they do is they listen, they help, they first of all, help the youth tell their story. So their life story up until their point. And then through them telling their life story, they're actually pulling out the skills that they've learned. So, you know, like Annabelle, it, you, you said that you were, you've gone from group home to group home. Well, you know what? you've learned a lot of skills about learning to communicate because every time you go to a new place, there's new people and you have to figure out the lay of the land. So you learn how to be resilient. You've learned how to be organized. You've learned how, so what they did was, is they took your story, your life, and they helped you pull out your gifts and your assets and your skills to then put it into a resume. And I thought, you know what? That is really brilliant. And what a great, great way to start off in your employment having that confidence to say, you know what, I moved from group home to group home. I've always thought that was a deficit. That was one of the bad things about my life. And who knew that was, that was one of the greatest things of your life, because look what it taught you and look at the skills that, that you, you learned from it. And so in our, in our previous conversations, Lacey, you gave a really great suggestion, which is having youth at the core of the program. For me, I have not the best capability and trusting adults to do stuff properly for like youth. So that's why I feel like if it was youth running the program, it doesn't have to be like teenagers or anything. It could be like people in their twenties even, but like, as long as they're relatively like around our age and can still understand, because I feel like as people get older, they understand less and less what teenagers are thinking. Mm. it's just you can see that like with like adults like they don't really they're like what are you saying you know and so I feel like if it was like someone who was like 28 I don't know 18 doing this program for us then we would be able to trust them more to help us become better you know and I think uh, tying it back to our conversation about relationship and trust. And so normally it's organizations going out and finding youth to be part of the program. And I think it's also youth needing to, youth actually getting involved in their community and wanting to be involved in the different programs and activities and groups that are out there. And so it's really a two, it's a two-way street and the trust goes both ways. So when you said about the adults, 
not quite understanding the youth. I think I'm on the cusp of that. I'm a kid at heart, I'd like to say, but I do struggle a little bit to understand the thinking behind the youth because I haven't been one for so long. And so there needs to be a level of understanding that I'm an old person. And so, you know, you like help me understand how to support you, not leave me to guess and then get mad at me for getting it wrong. What are your thoughts on that? Am I off the mark? Um, I think that's really good, actually, because it's a two-way street. Youth have to want to be involved. And I don't know how you want me to refer to you, like older people. Old person, I'm okay. (laughs) Older people need to be willing to learn because, again, that's on youth kind of being like, okay, we're not going to give you the input you need, and then we're going to get mad at you when you get it wrong. Like, for example, Tamarack again. Tamarack literally had four youth, including myself, sit down, and they were like, here's what you need to do if you have any questions, hit us up. But they had the youth running it. There was, uh, his name was Brandon, he was a team lead. And we just had, like, adults checking in and being like, hey, we're going to organize meetings sometimes, and we're going to make sure you know what you're doing. But it was basically youth run. And I think that because it was youth run, they're going to make a lot more of a difference than a group of baby boomers showing up and being like, hey, we know what we're doing when they actually don't. Yeah. um, So one of the big things about like understanding each other, like you old people and us young people, I should I, that sounds really weird when you say it like that. I know. But I'm just repeating your guys' words. But anyway, <laughs> hey, hey um, trust me, I'm not sure I want to. I'm the one who said it. And I'm like, am I really that old person? But I'm getting up there. My dad's like that. He's like, I'm already 48. Wow. I'm yeah. like, yeah, dad, 48. What I was going to say was um, one of the main problems with youth now today actually is because they're like so obsessed with social media, even though it's not doing anything for them. Or they're like, don't look at me like that. Um, the, most teenagers are obsessed with social media. You're, I'm talking to someone right now who posts a million times a day. Okay, you know what? Don't call me out for that. I post for like a week and then I go missing off the map for six months. You cannot call me out for that. But you're the ideal like representation right now of someone who is obsessed with social media, who's always trolling the pages of Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat. But anyways, besides like social media, there's the major problem of the fact that youth don't want to go anywhere they just want to sit on the couch and watch tv and not do anything like they want to watch youtube they want to watch netflix like there's even memes about it nowadays about how like you're training for a marathon a marathon on netflix you know Mm. and so it's just it's pretty bad like how youth like youth just need to try they just need to like try and do stuff like they need to try and get connected that's one of the big problems is that no one really wants to get connected. Yeah. And, and I always have a saying that I tell my boys all the time is that if you feel like there's a problem, you need to be part of the solution. And so if you don't feel like you're connected, you know, to your community or you don't like how, you know, there's no programs in the community that are geared to you, then you've got to be part of the solution. You've got to be able to, you know, maybe 
go to an organization with your idea of what can happen and ask for support and to work with. And so, you know, we can't just leave it all in the organization's hands to just to figure out what we need to, to help young people and not being lonely and being connected to community. The youth need to also come forward and be vocal and, and contribute to the programs. Again, what Lacey was saying about how youth don't want to be involved, that's because a lot of adults don't know how to gear it to youth. Mm -hmm. If you want youth to be involved, you have to, again, work around their interests. And right now, a lot of youth's interests are online. So you have to work with that instead of working against it and trying to fix the problem. You need to work with it and say, okay, youth are good at technology, so we're going to have you running the social media page. Or, hey, you're good at talking to people. How about you advertise our organization and get more youth like you involved? Like, mm -hmm. instead of seeing youth liking technology as a problem, try to see it as a way that they can help and a solution. Another thing that could be said is many of the programs nowadays are, like, really boring. Like, <laughs> boring. Like, beyond boring. Like, I lack so much interest in these programs that I could fall asleep during one of them. So what I think that should be done is like make it more interesting, make it like fun. Like in my, one of my math classes, the reason why I didn't like math classes for the longest time was because it was boring and you didn't like really initiate people in it. But then that one time, that one math class, they made a game out of it. And that was what got me interested and like what got me like in the zone and made me want to like actually like contribute to what we were doing that day. Like as long as it's fun, like I can guarantee people are going to pay attention. Yeah, you, may, you bring up a good point in terms of, you know, let, let's say you do have engaged youth and you bring them to the meetings and the meetings are so boring and dry you know, they're not going to want to come. So you have to then change up your meetings and, you know, make them a little bit more fun, maybe not as, as regimented or, you know, briefings and all that kind of stuff, right? And have food and have fun and have a time to connect and, and meet each other and learn and do check-ins and do checkouts at the end of the meetings. I like checkouts too, because if I didn't understand something, I can actually voice it at the checkout that, you know what, I really didn't get anything from today. If you are feeling lonely and isolated in your community, some of the things you can do is get to know your neighbor, pick up the phone and call someone, or as Annabelle said, connect with that person on social media or Instagram and have a chat with them, video chat with friends and family members, join a club or a group. And I think the best thing as youth to belong to your community is really get involved in your community. There's lots of ways to do it. So uh, thank you so much, Annabelle and Lacey for joining me today. This was a really lively and awesome conversation. This is one of the discussions of our loneliness series. To listen to our other podcasts and resources, please go to our website, tamarackcommunity.ca. Thank you very much. Until next time.